GM, GM, welcome to the Web3 Futurist podcast. I am super excited to be joined by Marcus from Klimadao. Um, they are a project which I have been following for a while, and I really want to showcase um, what they do. How are you doing, my friend? Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Well, actually, before we dive deep into you know what you folks do, um, let's just start off with an introduction about you and how you got into Web3. Yeah, so uh, my background is in data science and data engineering. I worked in the Web2 data world for about a decade and uh, started learning about blockchain technology maybe 2017. And at the time, I didn't really see a lot of real use cases for it. Um, I was pretty skeptical about, um, you know, isn't it just a database? Um, why do we really need um, public blockchains? Um, but as I started learning more, um, especially in like 2020 or so, um, when I saw DeFi happening um, and actual, uh, yeah, actual utility being driven by um, this new technology, I got really excited. Started learning more about smart contracts, um, which had been talked about in back in like 2017 in this online class I took, but didn't actually exist or like no one was really using them for anything. Um, so when I saw stuff like Uniswap and Aave uh, coming online, I was like, oh, wow, this is that smart contract stuff. Um, that they were talking about five years ago, and uh, it's finally here. So uh, I sort of dove in head first, started learning about a bunch of different stuff, and uh, Klimadao kind of fell into my lap. Uh, I was watching Bankless podcast, actually, and uh, heard about it. We got really excited about the idea of uh, using blockchain technology to enable climate action, and uh, jumped in the Discord, started contributing, uh, first as a moderator, and then I started building like some Discord bots, uh, doing some data analytics, and the team really uh, valued the work I was doing. So they offered me to come on uh, full-time as a core member. Um, tell us a bit about Klima and what you folks do and, and what you stand for. Yeah, so at KlimaDAO, we believe that the climate crisis is one of the most urgent problems facing humanity uh, over the next few decades. And we believe that blockchain technology can play a critical role in galvanizing funding and support for important climate action that's happening on the ground. Uh, in particular, um, there's an existing market called the Voluntary Carbon Market, also known as Carbon Credits, um, which has a bit of a um, controversial history, let's say. Um, it's been around for about 30 years, this concept of um, basically someone somewhere in the world wants to support climate action, and they're willing to put up money uh, to fund that action, and someone somewhere else in the world is going to be paid to implement that action uh, in a verifiable manner. That's sort of the fundamental concept behind a carbon credit. And... Um, the initial uh, the initial system was was, uh, was cooked up in the 1990s out of, as part of the Kyoto Protocol, and uh, sort of the status quo in that market uh, is that's a very slow process for getting these credits verified and issued, and it's a very opaque system for both uh, trading and uh, and finally retiring or consuming the underlying credit. Um, so we see lots of opportunity at different segments of this market to introduce blockchain technology and bring greater transparency and access. Klimadao is mostly focused on the demand side of the market, where in the traditional market, it's dominated by brokers and retailers. Um, a broker is someone who you'll like call on the phone, you'll talk to them for a little while, maybe go back and forth over email, and then they'll give you a quote for like, hey, we'll give you, you know, X amount of this, of this project's carbon credits for Y price. Um, and that price usually in, in, um, includes a pretty heavy markup because the broker, you know, sort of bought that credit a while ago. They've been holding it on their books and then they resell it uh, at a markup. That's, that's their business. 
And we think that there's an opportunity to disintermediate this traditional over-the-counter market, um, bringing more transparency into like pricing and uh, you know how much markup people are charging because the the trades can happen in public instead of uh, instead of behind closed doors. And also, it allows a much broader suite of people to access the market because if you call a broker and you're like, "Hey, I want ten dollars worth of carbon credits," they're gonna laugh in your face. Uh, nobody is gonna be fulfilling an order that small. Um, and so then you have retailers who, who you know, service this, uh, this demand of small dollar retirements. Um, but the trouble with retailers is they're often not super transparent about um, their pricing. And also, because of the way they operate, they're basically taking a bunch of small retirements and bundling them together into one retirement, which then goes and gets issued in the Vera Registries database. And uh, this sort of um, it destroys information, right? Because there's information that the retailer has about each individual retirement that their users requested, um, but then they have to bundle that all together, and so that information is not preserved in the underlying um, Vera registry. So um, that introduces risk for things like double counting, where the same carbon credit retirement is attributed to two different individuals or organizations, and it's a huge problem because it really undermines uh, faith and integrity in the market. So with retailers, um, we think that fractionalized retirements, which are possible when you bring these uh, uh, carbon credits onto the blockchain, you could retire 0.1 tons, 0.01 tons, um, and that will still be recorded as a separate transaction on the blockchain. So you retain that one-to-one uh, -one mapping between the user retiring and the, uh, the record of that retirement on-chain. And in terms of the operations of the DAO, how are you folks structured at the moment? Because the question to a lot of uh, projects is, um, do you need to kind of uh, turn it into a DAO straight away or decentralize straight away? So how does it look like right now in Cleveland DAO? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and I'd say that for each DAO, it varies a lot, like what the appropriate strategy is. Um, for us, what what we're really trying to do is introduce greater transparency and accountability into an existing uh, market. So for us, having the community be involved from pretty early was important. Um, and also because we're, um, because of the, the tokenomics that we're using that we were forked from the Olympus um, Dow monetary policy, um, having a DAO to weigh in on policy decisions um, and approve changes to the, the protocol from pretty early on was really important. Um, that being said, we do have a pretty clear mission as a DAO. Like, um, we're not like a social club or, or anything like that. We really have a clear um, set of objectives we're trying to achieve. And those objectives are going to be carried out by implementing products and features that will deliver value, right, to, to users. So um, at that level, we do have a um, an organizational structure that allows us to be um, pretty uh, pretty decisive in, in the beginning. So before launch, obviously, it was just the core team. That was pretty much the entire um, uh, the entire DAO, right? They were building the product, they were getting ready for launch, um, and the only people in the community at that point were basically like testers and early adopters who were really excited about the protocol, but you know didn't have any way to do work on it. Um, after launch, it sort of immediately became a DAO in that anybody could show up and be like, "Hey, I want to help work." Um, and there's a process for onboarding people. It was honestly pretty nightmarish in the beginning. There was a lot of chaos. Um, because we didn't have a lot of structure in place in that transition moment from like just the core team to um, now there's suddenly, you know, thousands of people who want to help. Um, and so that was pretty painful, not going to lie. We spent about six months in this sort of limbo mode where like things were super um, ambiguous and we were kind of flying uh, by the seat of our pants, just trying to like keep, um, keep things happening. 
Um, and it, it, at some point it came to a head and um, there was a lot of, uh, there was some friction in the community basically between some people who had a more idealistic vision of what a DAO should be like to, yeah, total chaos. Anybody can do anything. You just kind of show up and do whatever you want to do. Um, and that wasn't working really well in terms of delivering on our objectives and shipping products. So uh, we did a, a governance proposal called KIP 19 to basically formalize the status quo and be like, look, this is the existing structure and we're going to put in place a working group, the decentralization working group, whose job is to research the best practices for us to further decentralize the status quo. Um, so yeah, that's sort of where we are right now. Um, the status quo has been uh, how we've been operating where there's a core team um, that's sort of responsible for like strategic vision, um, that there's a set of contributors um, that carry out the work um, and get compensated for that work from the DAO wallet. Um, and now the question is the DWG has been doing its work for a better part of a year now, and we've got an interim report um, coming out from them with some initial research and uh, best practices that have been identified. And then the next step after that is to start identifying what are these specific models that we've seen in other DAOs that have worked um, and how can we you know, put together a roadmap that takes us from where we are to that desired end state. Right. So in terms of the lessons that you've learned um, on your way to decentralization and through all this research that you've um, done as a DAO, what have you learned? And are you kind of moving towards a um, any particular model? Because I've spoken to a lot of DAOs um, through this podcast, and I guess the number one issue is the maybe the lack of participation, um, especially in a time like now, um, where contributors maybe aren't getting compensated Um for their work so how do you currently operate are you more are you operating off of a token-based model and where do you see the direction going yeah so we're in a bit of a unique situation because we have this um this treasury of assets um you know initially there was klima in the dow wallet that was accumulated from fees charged by the protocol and that's what was being used to pay people out pay contributors for the first uh six months or eight months something like that um that Klima ran dry and protocol fees have not kept up with that, uh, with the rate of expenditure. So um, we've done several governance proposals now to allocate USDC that we have sitting in the treasury to be used to fund ongoing operations. Um, Long-term, the goal is to make the DAO self-sustaining, right, where, where protocol fees would cover um, the ongoing expenses. But obviously right now that's not the case. Um, and and our, our whole thesis is really about scale. Right, like Klima DAO will succeed if we can drive massive scale through the voluntary carbon market, um, and that's sort of how all of our fee structures are set up. Uh, in terms of you know where thing what things look like and where we might be headed, um, I'd say the main models we've been looking at are um, sort of the Maker DAO model, where they had a foundation um, initially, eventually went to like a a, a, a sub DAO model where there's like a, a set of core units that. Um, that have budgets allocated to them, uh, and they sort of interact in a fairly loosely coupled way. Um, I think it's an interesting model. We've heard some uh, negative feedback from people who have been involved in the um, the governance process over there. Particularly, um, it creates a lot of um, coordination issues between subdows because the interfaces aren't very well specified. Um, and the other thing we've heard is that it creates a lot of tension when it comes time for budgeting because, like, organ you know, groups of people are basically like, "Am I going to be able to eat next month?" Um, and, and there's a lot of, uh, yeah, there can, there can be friction around that, that budgeting process. So, um, I, I think I'm like cautiously 
optimistic about the MakerDAO model and like this notion of uh, subdividing the DAO into sub-DAOs that have more well-defined remits. Um, I'm a little skeptical if our whole DAO should operate that way. And, and that's kind of where, where my head is at. Like, are all functions of this organization necessarily equally well-suited to a sub-DAO model? Or do you maybe carve the organization up into things that are like more well-suited for um, like a top-down hierarchical way of working uh, versus things that are more well-suited to a more open, uh, permissionless way of, of working? So um, in particular, like seems to be like marketing and, and stuff like that seems to be a little more conducive to like um, being highly coordinated, right? Marketing needs to interface with each of the other teams to make sure that the releases um, are on time and that everything is accurate. Um, and so I can definitely see how that communication bottleneck um, would become an issue if you go to a fully um, uh, full sub-DAO implementation. And in terms of people joining Klima DAO, how, how would they join? Um, is it some sort of token that they purchase and then it gives them some sort of governance utility? Um... Yeah, at the moment, it is traditional um, token-based governance voting. So the Klima mm -hmm. token is available on SushiSwap on Polygon. Um, and if you want to become a voting member of the DAO, you just need to have that in your wallet. Um, we also, um, you know, we do have like a organizational chart in our docs, um, for what it's worth. Um, we tend to think of it as like circles within circles. Um, so you start out sort of at the outermost circle, um, as just a community member, when you acquire Klima token, you sort of move one circle in and you become a voting member. Um, and, you know, further in are sort of the contributors that are actually doing work for the DAO. Um, and the core team is at the middle. Do you have any, um, challenges? Uh, operating through a token-based governance right now? Yeah, um, definitely some challenges. Uh, I'd say finding the right cadence has been um, has been a challenge. Um, we were, there was a period where we were doing governance votes very regularly, like we mm. had some every two weeks or so, and we were mm. trying to get on a mode where we would batch them and like they'd all go up at the same time. That didn't last very long because the cadence just didn't keep up. Um, so yeah, I'd say finding a good cadence that is regular enough that people remember that like voting in Klima DAO is still a thing, um, but not so frequent that people get exhausted and just stop showing up. Um, we've actually had pretty good consistency. Like we have over a thousand votes usually on our snapshot proposals. Like it's, we're doing all right. Um, I, I think if anything, where I point the issue is less on the, the token voting part participation, more on the like governance forum discussion part, um, especially for some proposals. Um, like if it's, if it's a sort of very straightforward, very obvious thing, like, you know, a fee switch or something like that, it tends to be overwhelming support. And so we don't get a lot of discussion. I don't think that's necessarily a problem. It's more like, I think the people tend to show up and vote um, on the, the snapshot proposals. Um, showing up to discuss on the forum is definitely more, um, more tedious. Getting people to show up for that is harder. And I think that's why folks love um, uh, like delegation or something, right? Where you can kind of, delegate your votes to someone else and kind of trust them to do that process. Because like you said, you know, a lot of the folks that join certain DAOs might not necessarily have the uh, mental capacity to sit in and um, vote every two weeks, right? So <laughs> how's the delegation process with you folks? So we actually don't have delegation right now. It's something we've oh. been looking at and, mm -hmm. and considering. I think the concern is that if you're not careful with how you set up your delegation system, you can end up where like basically one or two people capture the entire governance system. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think what Gitcoin did with like appointing stewards and then allowing, um, you know, people to delegate only to those 
um, sort of recognized um, valuable community members, I think is a really good model. So um, we've been looking at something like that. But yeah, no delegation yet. It's definitely definitely on our radar. Super cool. And I want to ask now about your competitors. If you kind of see competitors in the space, right? Um, what does the carbon credit space look like? Yeah, it's been really exciting and kind of a wild ride to be part of uh, of this uh, this new refi movement that that's happening. Mm. Um, I'd say uh, when we launched in October of 2021, um, the space was pretty much clear in terms of like Web3 DAOs that were trying to build demand for carbon credits. Um, there were a few other players who were tokenizing carbon credits before Klima and Toucan launched, um, like Moss comes to mind. Um, and the thing is that they're not like groups like Moss that are tokenizing credits from the old world and bringing them on chain aren't really our competitors. They're more like our partners. Right. They're like the source of supply that we're going to bring to the market and, and build a liquid market around. Um, so I'd say in terms of competition for what Klimadao is trying to do, right, it might help to articulate like in a concise way what it is that Klimadao is trying to do. We basically see ourselves as building market infrastructure for environmental assets, you know, starting with voluntary carbon credits. And um, in that in that sense, our competitors would be, you know, groups like uh, like a broker or a trading house that we don't really compete with them directly. It's more like we're disintermediating their market, right? Like they charge a 25% markup or a 50% markup because nobody knows, their, their clients don't know what the real prices are. Um, and by providing liquid pricing and a transparent market, um, we're sort of undermining the markups that brokers and, and trading houses are able to charge. Um, so so I say that's like our most, um, the most significant like uh, com competition that we're we're bleeding market share basically from them. That's what, that's part of our goal is to disintermediate those players. Um, there are a couple of Web three players that have come up in the last year who are sort of playing in the same space as us. Um, I think the one that was most um, public about all of this was Flow Carbon, which is Adam Newman's um, you know A sixteen Z backed um, carbon trading house. I mean, they basically, the history there is that it was a web two, you know, off chain trading house that was servicing clients in the VCM, basically buying credits cheap and reselling them expensive. Um, I think they were mostly serving like museums and stuff like that, like, like cultural institutions. And, um, late last, late in 2021, around the time FEMA launched, they started moving into the web three space. They were servicing some demand for bridgers, like people who wanted to get credits off chain, around the launch of Klima, bring it on-chain um, and bond it, they were providing that uh, those credits. Um, and I think they got the sense that there was a bigger opportunity here um, and, you know, got together. They were going to build a DAO. The, the original plan was that they were going to launch a DAO called Goddess DAO and that that would be like the equivalent of Klima, kind of. It wasn't always clear, like, what exactly they saw as their value prop. The really interesting thing is they actually came to us with a governance proposal back in like February of 2022. And they were like, hey, we're going to be launching our two-way two bridge soon. We'd really like you to include, you know, the goddess nature token, which was like the credits, uh, the, the token they were issuing that represented carbon credits. And at the time we were like, well, can you like launch the product? And then we can see like, you know, if it makes sense for us to include um, and we were negotiating with them about like compensation, right? Like how would Klima DAO be rewarded for, um, taking the risk and, and integrating their, um, their token. And, and the conversations kind of broke down there. Um, so yeah, over the last year or so flow has raised a lot of money. They've sort of made a lot of noise, done a few small experiments, like, um, 
yeah, they did a couple small NFT projects and, um, you know, trying to stay relevant, I think. Um, so I'd say right now, they're not really competing directly with Clean Metal. I'd still see potentially an opportunity for us to collaborate with them. Um, but in terms of market positioning, I, I think they definitely position themselves as like Clean Metal, but better or something like this at the very beginning. Um, and it's not clear to what extent they intend to directly compete with us, for instance, by like offering liquidity, right? Like, are they going to provide liquidity for their own token or are they going to rely on third parties to do that? Um, so like if they're looking for a DAO to house protocol and liquidity in their token, um, you know, Klima DAO could do that. Um, yeah. Assuming the partnership conditions were, were right. I want to now transition into the topic of partnerships, right? How would it usually work in the refi space? Because I've noticed in a lot of communities like the NFT, like PFP communities and metaverses, they're like, hey, here's 25 whitelist spots, right? But I can imagine that the refi space is a bit more different. So how would that kind of work um, traditionally? Yeah, so I'd say at Klimatao, we've taken a pretty unique approach to partnerships. Um, we sort of break down into two big categories. There's people who want to use our infrastructure to retire carbon to meet their organizational objectives. Um, and so we call that Klima Infinity. That's like our sort of B2B partnerships program where we offer offsetting as a service um, through our, our infrastructure. And then uh, the, you know, the, the partner will provide things like co-marketing or you know, they'll promote, um, promote our services to their community, sort of a quid pro quo. Um, you get a service from us and we co-market the, co the fact that you're using it together. Um, and then on the other side, we have more strategic partnerships. Um, we're like a good example of this. Uh, we partnered with SushiSwap to build a green fee into their decks. So you have an option every time you swap to have a small additional fee charge that's then um, uh, retired in carbon credits. Um, so that's a good example of like a strategic partnership where it's not like they're using our infrastructure. It's more like we're working together to build something um, bigger than either of us could do alone. Um, and most of those partnerships... Um, you know, those partnerships include both like players in the refi space um, and uh, organizations like uh, more traditional Web3 groups. Like uh, we recently had Goldfinch, um, the lending protocol, use our, our retirement aggregator and joined Klima Infinity. Uh, JonesDAO just recently joined Klima Infinity. So we see that as a really powerful um, strategy for coordinating within the, the Web3 ecosystem and getting, um, yeah, getting some, some stronger network effects by, by leveraging the, the communities that are already here. Marcus, I want to ask about the relationship uh, between Klimadel and the traditional carbon market. Uh, do you mind explaining about that? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been an interesting journey over the last year and a half to see how the traditional players have reacted to everything going on. Um, I mentioned earlier that there were some players tokenizing carbon before the launch of Tukan and Klimadel, um, like like Moss, and at that time, you know, like 2017, 2018, the traditional market. Um, didn't really notice or didn't seem to care much uh, because it was pretty small activity, um, like a couple million credits tops. And um, it was only when Klimadao came along and brought this new incentive system um, and created a, a reserve, basically like a, a treasury full of carbon credits, um, we were able to bring 25 million credits on chain. Um, and that made the traditional market sit up and take notice. Um, the sourcing to bring those credits on chain had a significant impact on the over-the-counter market. Um, and, uh, you know, the traditional registries like Vera and Gold Standard, they they really started to, to notice what was going on, I'd say around November of 2021, about a month after we launched. 
And in reaction, um, they put out some press releases. Vera in particular put out some some pretty vaguely worded press releases about like not endorsing tokenization. And then in May of last year, they they straight out um, put a moratorium on bridging using the existing technology. Um, so from that point, we um, realized that there was a, a, some issues that needed to be addressed, some concerns that needed to be addressed from the traditional market. And the really good thing is that instead of just sort of shutting it down and walking away, these organizations like Vera and Gold Standard that um, that issue most of the credits in the off-chain traditional market, they came to the table and they said, hey, we're going to run a consultation. We're going to gather input from all of the community stakeholders, um, and then we'll put out a policy um, that sort of represents the synthesis and like what they think is the best path forward for their registry. Um, so we're at the point now where those consultations have been completed. Klimadao submitted responses to both Vera and Gold Standard and a couple of other ones. Um, and now we're in a waiting game. And it's sort of a, a game of chicken where whoever, you know, goes first is going to, you know, have that um, that advantage of being like the first registry to enable bridging again. Um, but I think there's also some hesitance because um, you can imagine that once a registry puts out a policy, um, that's going to be looked at by all the other registries and they're all going to react and adjust their policies. Um, so it's not entirely clear yet what the policy for uh, bridging will be from these traditional registries, but I think it's pretty clear that there will need to be some kind of policy um, because there's enough excitement, there's enough activity around the on-chain carbon markets um, that I think if, if a group like Vera decides to just not have anything to do um, with digital carbon, I think other registries will see that as a massive opportunity to take market share away from Vera. Um, so we see, see this really interesting competitive dynamic emerging where um, very similar to like a, a more traditional incumbent disruptor dynamic, right? Where like the uh, disruptor has some innovative new technology that enables them to be more efficient or have greater scale. Uh, and the incumbents are sort of sort of scramble to either adopt that technology or to cope with the fact that like now their competition has uh, an advantage over them. Um, so yeah, we'll see how that all plays out, but it's going to be a really exciting year for the voluntary carbon markets. Um, and I think my expectation is that we'll see a lot of adoption of blockchain technology among the traditional players. How do you personally see it play it out and what's the best case scenario for Klima? So personally, um, I think that the, the competition is heating up and um, I think that the days where like Vera can sort of sit on their um, laurels and like maintain their 70, 80% market share are, are gone. They're going to have to fight to maintain their market share, especially given all of the negative media attention that's been thrown at Vera recently. Um, they're sort of facing... Um, attacks from multiple sides, and, and they're going to have to really evaluate their strategy um, to make it. Um, in terms of what I think would be best for Klimadao, um, we're really set up to maximize like competition and throughput, right? We want to maximize choice for the users that use our infrastructure, um, and we want to make sure that the the different options are competing against each other so that we get um, you know uh, reliable pricing and sort of the best products come out on top. Um, that means like the lowest fees, right? The, the highest impact credits. Um, we want people to be competing on that rather than competing on whether their technology is like completely closed and you have to have a bank account to access it or, you know, or open in public the way that uh, blockchain technology uh, allows. So, um, yeah, I think the two big dimensions I see playing out and I think what would help Klima is if we get, you know, open minimally permissioned systems that allow as many people to access them as possible. Um, and if we have, um, sort of uh, a robust relationship between the traditional 
um, players that have dominated the space up to now and this emerging new cohort uh, of refi projects that are really trying to uh, to change the status quo and, and accelerate the impact that this uh, this market is having. Well, all the best and we'll be sure to keep a close eye on how things play out. Um, you know, it's going to be a, an exciting time this year. I want to start wrapping things up and I want to talk about um, what's next for you folks and what to kind of expect in the upcoming weeks and months. But uh, at the end of the month, we have East Denver slash Dow Denver. I'm assuming you folks are going to have a presence there. Um, what are you looking forward to the most? Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, I'll be speaking at Dow Denver and Shelling Point um, about Klima and, and what we're working on. Um, yeah, I'd say generally just like meeting up with people again in person. Um, I'm looking forward to that a lot. Um, seeing a lot of old friends um, who I've met at previous conferences. Uh, I'm also going to be there with some of my colleagues from Klima. Um, so definitely looking forward to hanging out with them uh, in person. Yeah, I mean, I think during the pandemic, um, it became very clear the value of in-person events. Um, and now that they're back, um, you know, it's definitely it's definitely important and, and really valuable to be attending these in-person events. Uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to, to Denver. I'll see you there. Yeah, that'll be great. Where do we find you? Where do we find Klima Dow? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter as uh, Klima Aurelius. Um, I'm also on Discord as Marcus Aurelius. You can find me on Telegram. Um, yeah, feel free to get in touch. I'm, I'm pretty available. Um, Klima Dow itself, uh, the main website is Klima Dow, K-L-I-M-A-D-A-O.finance. Um, we've got a blog, we've got docs, um, as much as you care to learn about the protocol, there's plenty of information there. Um, and our discord is definitely the center of like community activity. So if you want to get involved in the conversations or have questions, um, our discord is definitely the best place for that. Thank you so much for your time, Marcus. Um, it's been an amazing conversation um, and I'm sure the folks listening will be sure to chill out. Um, but thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you, Stephen. Bye-bye. Right, bye.